Welcome to the Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn of Houston Public Media. And I'm Eric Skelly from Rocco, the River Oaks Chamber Orchestra. And this time, we're talking about Vivaldi's opera Catone in Utica, which debuted in 1737 in Verona, Eric. Indeed. And this is an example of an opera whose librettist is the famed Metastasio, Pietro Metastasio, which was uh, a pseudonym for Pietro Antonio Domenico Trapassi. And I can understand why he'd want to shorten that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he was a sort of go-to guy for your opera libretti in the day. He was. he was He was a rock star in his day. And he... He transformed opera, it's, it is, and it's not hyperbole to say that. He was a primary mover and shaker in opera just by the strength of his libretti, whom everybody used. And the thing that he did was that he put a dramatic construct on his libretti such that beginning with Metastasio and then going on for a long time afterward, you had dramatic action going on in the recitative and then you would have an aria where people contemplated on about what just happened and sang about what they felt about it and gave them the ability to really be expressive and be very virtuosic because uh, this was the day of the castrati so uh, there was a <laughs> there's a guy who wrote uh, this wonderful book called Di Opera named uh, his last name's Fleming and he put it very very succinctly said the recitative loads the gun the aria fires it. I love that. <laughs> Isn't that great? Yes. Yes. Love that. Metastasio as you said was famous for his libretti and it was like you could rent his libretti because there are all these different composers that use the same libretti and they turn out their own version of that particular opera. Yeah, as late as Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart himself, uh, La Clemenza di Tito is one of uh, uh, Metastasio's libretti. And, uh, and you can see parallels with the opera we're going to hear today and La Clemenza di Tito. You've got you know, a plot to assassinate an emperor being driven by a, a sort of a crazy woman who, <laughs> who who feels that she's been wronged. In the case of of uh, Catone and Utica, we have Emilia, Pompey's widow. He was murdered in Egypt, but you know, if Caesar had caught up with him, he would have done it himself. <laughs> and so you've got that situation here. And then in La Clemenza de Tito, you've got Vitalia, who you know isn't getting enough attention from Tito, the emperor, and so she manipulates this guy who's in love with her to try to assassinate his best friend, the emperor, blah, 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 blah. But anyway, they're very parallel. You can see, you know, these these constructs working in a very par- parallel way. And typically, almost all of Metastasio's libretti end happily. Almost always. Except for this one. <laughs> <laughs> What is interesting is, as you said, they they end happily. This one doesn't, although Vivaldi did rework it to yeah. give it uh, a second sort of happy ending. Yeah, which which uh, apparently was a bit of a mess, but <laughs> and basically the difference between the that sad ending and the happy ending is in the original tragic ending. Cato commits suicide. Yes. That's the honorable thing to do. That shows his moral dignity, etc. He wanted the Republican 
the Republic back. He wanted a return to the days of the Republic, which is what Caesar basically usurped and overthrew. And then after Caesar, of course, we had a whole long line of emperors. And they never went back to the Republic. Caesar at this time was a dictator. Yes, exactly. And Cato in this opera says, I don't want to live in this world you know, of, of, a, of a dictator ruling Rome and, and kills himself, which apparently is exactly what actually did happen. Right. But in the revised ending, he lives <laughs> happily ever after. Well, he lives ever after. Though. Yeah, he does. He we might don't know not about happily, happy. But, <laughs> but other characters are happy, so, you know, there you go. So we are here in this opera in North Africa. Yes. Particularly in Utica. Right. And this is where this whole mess is playing out. This is when the Roman Empire was transforming itself. And, of course, North Africa was part of their playground. Yeah. And Cato, as you said, is a representative of the Republican faction. Led by Pompey, who has now been murdered. Caesar, of course, Cesare, is the opposite faction. He is now this dictator. And the nature of Rome is changed completely. Right. And so you have these two forces that are knocking heads. And uh, apparently, the Republicans lose out in this opera. As in life. As in life. They certainly did. <laughs> Couldn't catch a break. <laughs> One of the interesting characters, though, is Emilia, Pompey's right. widow. Right. Who is this, what's the word? Um, Virago? <laughs> Virago. We, Not we, to put too fine a point on it. <laughs> but she is incensed. Yes. And she wants... Justice. She wants... She wants revenge. Revenge. She wants revenge, absolutely. On Caesar. Caesar. But at the same time, she's not partisan to Cato. Right. So she is this sort of independent, wailing voice. Yes, agent of chaos. To make matters more complicated... And we of course we have to make the matters more complicated. It's early opera. That's what we do. <laughs> and we shouldn't be surprised at this. Right. But the other spanner that gets thrown into the works is that Cato's daughter, Marzia, yes. is falling for Cesare, for, for Caesar. Julius Caesar. For Caesar. How could she do that? <laughs> falling for the dictator. Because. But – her father, Cato, has this friend, this ally, Arbace. He wants his daughter to marry Arbace, the daughter who's in love with Caesar. Meanwhile, <laughs> there's another character, Fulvio, who's an ally of Caesar's, who's in love with Pompey's widow, Emilia, the Virago. <laughs> there's no accounting for taste. There is not. There is not. <laughs> what we should point out is that we've mentioned that this is the era of the of the castrati. Which we should probably, for somebody who's new to opera, explain what that is. I mean, that's basically a male soprano. In, in those days, they would, let's say, surgically alter 
kids, young boys, before puberty, so that when puberty arrived, their soprano voices would be preserved. So you would have a soprano voice in the body of a grown man. Right. Their voices never changed. Correct. They were, they were rendered eunuchs. Right. And it gave them that heavenly voice, if you like. That's what the, the reports of the time say. We, do, we only have one extant recording of the last of the castrati. There was one who survived long enough to get in front of a, a gramophone recording, uh, and it's, you know, he was way past his prime. Uh, I've not actually heard it myself, but uh, it would be interesting to get a hold of that. But mostly we only know, you know, cause, because they were very famous. They really were the rock stars. You know, Senesino and um, Farinelli were the, the two most famous castrati, and they were the ones whom Handel and Vivaldi, you know, wrote, you know, many of their roles for. And uh, their voices were powerful because, you know, they had the lung capacity of a grown man, but they had the, the range of a soprano. Right. And they had apparently ridiculously extravagant virtuosic skills, the ability to do runs, roulades, trills, you name it, the whole gamut of vocal uh, acrobatics. Um, we should also point out that castrating the males became illegal. Thank heaven. Yes. <laughs> and so today, when we talk about a male soprano, we're not talking about a castrato. No, we're talking about a falsettist. Right. We're talking about somebody who has developed his falsetto voice uh, in such a way that it becomes uh, a virtuosic, uh, beautiful uh, instrument. And in fact, in Catone in Utica, the role of Cesare is sung by, well, today it would be a countertenor. Yes, exactly. Which is so strange because he is the big hero. Right. And you'd expect him to be a baritone. Uh-huh. <laughs> but he's not. He's a, he's a countertenor. Yeah. It makes you understand how different the voices were perceived back in, in Vivaldi's day. Right. A completely different aesthetic. Uh, in terms of voice types, in terms of what the voice could do, and a different aesthetic in terms of what they expected of an opera plot, which is, you know, Metastasio to us, you know, can seem outdated. Um, but if you, you know, simply put yourself in the frame of mind of somebody of that time, what he was doing was was really groundbreaking and, and uh, innovative. One of the other... Uh, libretto that a metastasio provided was for Handel, for Partenope. And we have this sort of obsession, this operatic obsession with ancient Rome and but, ancient Greece. Right. But we should point out, though, that the first people to set those libretti were not Handel or Mozart. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. These, these libretti were passed around from composer to composer who would simply do his version of it, set his own music to it. Not like today where, you know, someone would take Alice Goodman's libretto from Nixon in China and do something completely different from John Adams. That would never happen today. Right, right. But in that day, that was the, that was the norm. So the winner, if you like, at the end of the opera is Cesare, is Julius Caesar. Yeah. But the opera is titled Catone in Utica. So the focus is on Cato, 
and what he has to go through because presumably he is to be seen as the moral compass. Well, he's a, he's in a way he's sort of our our entry character, isn't he, to experience all of these different people. So here we are, 1737, the early days of opera as we know it today. Mm-hmm. Not the earliest days, but early days of opera. What does Vivaldi bring to opera? Well, he brings his own distinctive tunefulness. I mean, he's working in the same, within the same strictures that we're used to with Handel. Uh, we have the, the Da Capo aria, which is the ABA structure. You have the A section of the aria, and then you have a, a contrasting section, a B section, and then you return and repeat the A section, but now you decorate the living bejesus out of it. <laughs> and you interpolate wildly. And so that's a lot of what you'll hear in, in Vivaldi. But he brings his own you know, signature uh, melodic style. Antonio Vivaldi's Catone in Utica. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.